Gracious God, I thank you so much for this congregation. I thank you for the people that you've called to serve, that you've called to be here. I thank you for our strength and our diversity, for our love, and for our passion to serve you and follow you. And I pray, Lord, that that might increase, that that might grow, uh, moving forward more and more and more. Lord, as we pray for our church today, I, I want to pray especially for this, this coming week as we lead up to possibly uh, signing the agreement for the redevelopment of this building. I pray, Father, that you would superintend all of the processes that are ahead of us uh, and let nothing, let nothing of the darkness derail what you intend to do here, but let everything be done well and let everything be accomplished this week uh, as it needs to be accomplished. Uh, just protect us, Lord, and help us as we continue to move forward in this. And Lord, we continue to pray for our city. We pray for London. We pray for the seven and a half to eight million people around us who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we cry out to you, Lord God, that you would cause your church in this city to rise up in the power of your Holy Spirit and let the harvest be gathered in, the harvest of the unsaved, let them be gathered in to the storehouses, the churches, all across the city, Lord, not only City Temple, but every church with people following Jesus, every church committed to your word, let, let Almighty God, the, the harvest be gathered in so that Jesus might receive the fullness of the glory and honor that he deserves. Now, Father, as we go to your word now, I pray that you would open it up to us and I pray that you'd help me to proclaim it faithfully and boldly as you desire. We love you and we honor you and we worship you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 1, we pick up with verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then in chapter 3, we pick up in verse 7 and read down to verse 19. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for all ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. One of my favorite musical uh, writers is a guy named Stephen Sondheim. Uh, you might have heard some of the things that he's done. Uh, he's been writing for a number of years. He was involved in West Side Story and, and on down and getting older now. But one of his uh, musicals that I've always found a bit intriguing is one called Sunday in the Park with George. I never knew much about this, uh, but it's actually a musical that's based on a painting. Uh, and the painting was a, a painting by, uh, I'll, I know I'll mispronounce his name because he's French, George Charat. Uh, and uh, it's a huge canvas about a Sunday in the park in uh, one of the parks in Paris. And Seurat, he pioneered a, a form of painting um, uh, called punctilialism. Uh, punk, well, you, you get it. It's about little points. Sorry, I can't pronounce anything today. Uh, and what he would do, he'd go up to the canvas, and his canvas really consists of little dots, little dots of paint. And a lot of people, when they, when they first saw him and saw what he was doing, they thought it was absolutely ridiculous. And actually, if you stand up close to one of his canvases, that's what you see. You see just a bunch of little dots on the canvas, and the little dots don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Uh, they're not always uniform. There are different shapes. They're different sizes. They're different colors. Uh, there are different places on the canvas. And up close, you cannot see the picture. But when you stand away from it, as you begin to get some distance from the picture, the little dots begin to merge together into a beautiful canvas, something that's incredible and something that's interesting. And many times when we're talking about the church, and we've been looking at the church the last several weeks, when we're talking about the church, it seems a bit like that. When you pick out any individual church, if you go onto God's canvas and look at any individual church, it might seem nothing more than a misshapen little blob. It might seem nothing more than a boring point of color that seems to have no form to it, that seems to have no real shape to it, that seems to have no real method to it, no method to the madness of it. And you look at it and you think, Okay, what's God doing here? 
It's just a point. It's just a little dot. It's just a little dab of paint. It doesn't seem much. It doesn't seem worth much. But that's when we have to step back a bit and learn to see the canvas that God is creating. Because what the scripture teaches us is that the church is God's plan. God planned for Christians to gather together in little clumps of misshapen people called the church. And ever since the day of Pentecost, Christians have done this. Some of the the blobs of paint have seemed quite large. Others have seemed quite small and insignificant. Some of them are colors that we don't particularly like. Sometimes we have no idea why God puts one church in one place and another church in another place, why one church seems to be a gorgeous yellow and another church seems to be a dull gray. We don't see it. We don't understand it. And so often we criticize it and we despise it and we disregard it because we have failed to understand that this little blob, this blob that's here together today, is part of God's plan. Throughout history, from the the perspective, the grand perspective of the creation, God has ordained that we would be here, that City Temple would be here in this place at this time, that we would be gathering, that you would be part of this little blob God ordained that from the foundations of the world. I don't understand it. None of us understand it. And oftentimes, if we look too closely at it, it's really easy to be disappointed. If we look too closely at it, it's really easy to despise it. But we can never forget that this is God's plan. And God has no plan B. God didn't create the church and say, hey, if the church doesn't work out, I'm going to do this. Now, if the church doesn't work out, I'm going to create a bunch of parachurch organizations that aren't the church to do all the things that the church is supposed to do because I'm not really confident in the church. God is the great artist, he is the great creator, and he has planned this tapestry, he has planned this painting, sorry I'm mixing my media metaphors, he's planned this painting from the foundations of the world, he's planned what he's going to do, he's planned the advancement of his kingdom, and he is determined to do that through the church, the church that we've been looking at, the global church, the citywide church, as well as the individual church, we are God's plan, and there is no plan B. We are God's plan, we are God's kingdom, and we are the agents of God's kingdom advance. And as a church, we need to rise up in the fulfillment of God's plan to advance his loving rulership throughout the world and see many thousands come to faith 
and Jesus Christ. We're his plan, we're his only plan. And Paul, as he's praying for the church in Ephesus here, as he's talking and encouraging the church in Ephesus, he's revealing this plan of God to the Ephesians Christian, the Ephesian Christians. He's revealing this to them, and if you will, he's giving us five encouragements that we need in order to see the church as God's plan, in order to understand who we are together as the plan of God. And we are together, remember, we are together the church. There is no such thing as an individual Christian who is not part of the collective body of Christ, the collective church. You cannot be a Christian and not be one with the church. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be a part of any organization that's called church, but you have to be part of the people of God gathering together with God's people because we're the body of Christ, we're the bride of Christ, we're the people of God, all these things that we've seen. So let's look at these things that Paul essentially says we need and that Paul is praying for. First of all, we need wisdom and revelation in knowing Jesus, having the eyes of our heart enlightened. We need to be praying, God, open my eyes, open the eyes of my heart, the eyes of my spirit, open my eyes so I can see. Give me revelation from your standpoint. You see, we can't understand the painting that God has created until God allows us to step away from it and see the grander canvas. But we'll never see the grander canvas unless God gives us that revelation. So we need to be calling out for God's revelation. And the revelation only comes in knowing Jesus. As we develop an intimate knowledge of Jesus, that's what Paul's talking about here, as we develop this knowledge of Jesus, as we grow closer to Jesus, we'll begin to have the revelation we need. In particular, we need to have revelation that, of the hope to which he has called us. Your life might seem like it's falling apart, it might seem like nothing works, but you, are, you have hope in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we as the body of Christ are the hope of the world. We really are the hope of the world. We need to also be, have revelation in Jesus of the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Too often we despise our inheritance when we despise one another. If we criticize, if we mistreat, if we uh, don't love one another, we are despising our inheritance. You are my inheritance. I am your inheritance. We together are a rich inheritance given to us by God. And we need to see ourselves as God's gift to each other. You are God's gift to me. I am God's gift to you. I'm not God's gift to women, but I am God's gift to you. And that's our reality. And there's richness here. It's one of the beautiful things about our church in all of its diversity, what we call our polycultural vision. We get to tap into the great beauty, the richness of our differences, as well as our unity in Christ Jesus. We also need to have a revelation about the immeasurable greatness of God's power to us who believe. If you are a believer in Jesus, 
there is an immeasurable greatness of power in your life. Now, that doesn't mean you can use that power to do whatever you want to do with it. But it does mean that God has more power operating in your life than you realize. I've gone through some, so many hard, difficult seasons that have lasted for a very long time in my life where I thought I, just, I was too weak, I was going to give up, I couldn't make it. And every time I've experienced the immeasurable greatness of God's power. But you're only going to do that if you believe, if you have faith, if you're walking in that faith. And so we need to say, God, give us this revelation of our hope that we have, of the inheritance we have together, and the immeasurable greatness of power. Because that's the only way that we'll stick with it in the church. If we don't know the hope of God, if we don't know how rich our inheritance is together, if we don't know the greatness of God's power, and by the way, it's not the greatness of God's power to us individually, it's the greatness of God's power to us corporately. The power we have is the corporate power of God. It's not an individual power. And so often we mistake that. And that's the first thing. Paul says, we need to have this. We need to pray for this. We need to long for this. Second thing that we need, if we're to see God's plan, if we're to understand the church as the plan of God, the second thing we need, we need a larger view of Jesus. A lot of times our view of Jesus is too small. It's important, I believe, that we should think of Jesus as our friend. We should think of Jesus as our brother. But Jesus is also the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we need a huge vision of Jesus. We need to understand, as Paul said, that he was raised from the dead and seated in the heavenly places. He was resurrected. Jesus is alive. He is not dead. The cross was real, but so is the empty tomb. He was raised and he was seated and being seated in the heavenlies is a position of power. It's a position of authority. And in fact, Paul says we need to understand that Jesus is above all rule and authority and every name that can be named. There is no power on earth. There's no power in hell that's greater than the power of Jesus. I talk a lot of times to Christians who are so afraid of, of things like demons and, and things like witchcraft and things like curses. You know, and they're, they're afraid of, oh, if they go around somebody that maybe has a demon, that they'll get it kind of like you get a cold. You know? Or they're afraid if, if somebody puts a curse on them, a spell on them, you know, somehow that's got a lot of power over them. And frankly, that shows we don't understand the greatness of Jesus. I have more faith in Jesus' power over every darkness, over every curse, over everything bad. I have more faith in Jesus' ability to bless me than I do in the devil's ability to curse me. We need a bigger view of Jesus because he is over everything and God has put all things under his feet and made him the head over all things. So something under your feet, that's a position of victory. If you're fighting with somebody, you knock them on the ground and you put his, your foot on their neck and hold them down, that's a position of victory. Everything is under the feet of Jesus. Everything. And Jesus is the head over everything. 
In other words, the queen is not the head of the United Kingdom. Jesus is. Putin is not the head of Russia. Jesus is. The UN is not the highest authority in this world. Jesus is. Jesus is the head over all things, and we need a bigger view of Jesus, otherwise we will always despise the church. If we're to understand the church is God's plan, we need to have a bigger view of Jesus. Pray and say, God, please, enlarge in my view of Jesus. Let me see Jesus like he really is. Then we also need a larger view of the church. We tend to disregard things because of the way that they look. Now, one of my favorite desserts that I discovered here is Eaton Mess. I don't know if you've ever had Eaton Mess. It's great, man. It looks like a mess with all this stuff put together, but it tastes so good. It looks ugly, but it tastes wonderful. Or a trifle, you know, you look at a trifle, you got all this layer of stuff, you cut into a trifle. Have you ever seen what, it, you know, a trifle is beautiful until you take a scoop out of it and you pop it on your plate and you say, oh, wow, what, that's gross. But it's lovely. You know, if you don't like trifle, give me yours. You know, it's great. We look at things on the outside. We look at people and we tend to Regard them by the way they look. We all know that Warren Buffett's one of the richest men in the world, uh, the great uh, wizard of Omaha. Uh, they often call him because of his investment uh, acumen. But he just drives an old pickup truck. In fact, if you saw this guy on the streets of Omaha and you didn't know who he was, you'd say, well, you know, this is some old farmer guy. Doesn't have very much. Not going to show him much respect. And yet, he's one of the wealthiest guys in the world. We tend to look at things on the outside and evaluate on that basis, but we need to get a larger view of the church because we tend to evaluate churches based on their faults and their failures and their shortcomings. But look at what Paul says here. Do you catch this at the end of this passage in, in chapter 1? Paul says that the Father, God, who has put all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and made Jesus head over all things, has given Jesus as head over all things to the church. Jesus is a gift to us. God has made Jesus head over everything for us, for the church. Jesus isn't the head over everything simply because he's God. He's the head over everything for our benefit. He's the head over all everything so that we can be the fulfillment of his plan and as the head over everything for us we are also his body we are his very body we are vitally connected to jesus not only individually but also corporately that is our reality doesn't matter what you see doesn't matter what the person looks like or how they dress this is our reality. This is our reality. And catch the last thing that Paul says about the church. We are the fullness, gave him as head over all things, to the, to the let me get to the passage there, uh, head over all things to the church, which is his body. Catch this, 
the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are the fullness of Jesus. We, together, are the fullness of Jesus. We are the full revelation of Jesus to the world. Not only us, but all the Christians, all the church. We are the fullness of Jesus. I know it doesn't feel like it. I know it doesn't seem like it. But the scripture says that is who we are together. The fullness of Jesus who fills all in all. His intention for us is to fill everything, to fill the earth. It reminds me of the, the commission that God gave Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And that's repeated for us as the church, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And we are the fullness of Jesus. How do we do that? We are the fullness of him. The fullness of his character, the fullness of his power, the fullness of who he is and all that he does he has become for us together, not individually, together as the church. And we need to say, God, let me have this larger view of the church. Let me see the church as it really is. The next thing, and turns into chapter 3, the next thing that Paul tells us really we need, we need a revelation of the plan of the mystery of God, the Creator. We need to get a revelation. We need to understand that we are God's plan for advancing his kingdom in the earth until Jesus Christ comes again. We are his plan. And his purpose is, this is absolutely mind-blowing for me in, in chapter 3, his purpose is that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the effect of what are the spiritual forces of evil. God intends to work through us so that one day everyone will say, wow, that, that was wise, that was intelligent, that was exactly what needed to happen. Just like today when we stand back and we see the, the beautiful paintings of George Surratt, we say, ah, oh, we can understand what he was doing now. We are to be together the revelation of God's manifold wisdom to the church. And we, as the church, are the manifestations of God's eternal purpose realized in Jesus. We are the living evidence, if you will, of God's intention to redeem people to himself through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. We are the revelation to the world that God loves them. We are the revelation to the world that God intends good for them, even though sometimes we don't live up to that revelation. This is God's purpose. This is his plan. And in order to facilitate and fulfill this plan through Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith. In other words, all these things that Paul is essentially telling us, we need these things to see the church as it really is. We can go to God boldly and say, okay, God, show me. But we have to go in faith. We have to go believing that what the word of God says is true. And finally, we need a deeper faith for Christ dwelling in our corporate hearts. We need to understand Jesus lives in us right now. Jesus lives in you. Jesus lives in me. Jesus lives in us together. 
And we need to have faith that that's true. We don't always feel it. There are a lot of times when I forget it, but that is our reality. That is our reality. And we need to have a deeper faith that Christ is dwelling in us, in our hearts together. We need to believe that we are rooted and grounded in love. We have been claimed by God not because we're good people, not because we work hard, not because we've done the right things, not because God somehow looked, looked at from the, uh, his creation past and said, oh, that's going to be a good person. I'm going to save them. We are rooted and grounded in love by the sheer grace of our God through Jesus Christ. We're rooted and grounded in love. And when we have this sense of Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith, rooted and grounded in love, the purpose is so that together we might comprehend with all the saints the breadth, length, height, and depth. Um, scholars all debate, you know, what does that mean? What did Paul mean? Is it about love? Uh, what is it about? I look at the context. And I think what Paul is saying here is that when we are rooted and grounded in love, when we understand that Christ is dwelling in our hearts together by faith, that it's at that time that we will be able to comprehend with other Christians the fullness of God's mysterious plan. It's at that moment when we are loving one another and serving one another and loving Jesus that we begin to get a glimpse of the full revelation of God's plan for us together. And so we need to crave to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Say, Jesus, I want to know your love and I want to share your love. And as we understand that Jesus is living in us corporately by faith, we can then be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the promise that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's mind-blowing. I can't say that I've ever fully experienced it. I've seen glimpses of it. I've been in meetings, I've been in churches, where I get a little taste of the fullness of God in our midst, where I get a little glimpse of how Jesus is manifesting himself. And every time that's happened, I long for more. I long for more. And it's one of the things that keeps me coming back. You know, I, I don't do ministry because of money or prestige or power or anything like that. It keeps me coming back for more of Jesus, to know more of Jesus, to be united with Christ and united with one another in Christ so that Jesus Christ is fully manifested in our midst. And the only way to get here is by praying. We have to pray, we have to push in, we have to ask the Lord, Lord, I need these things. I need all of these things. I need the wisdom and revelation in knowing Jesus. I need a larger view of Jesus. I need a larger view of the church. I need a revelation of your mysterious plan fulfilled in Jesus. And I need a deeper faith for Christ dwelling in us together. And the good news is as we approach and as we persist and persevere in those prayers, God will answer them. So how to close all of this? I'll give you a few encouragements, and it's really based on something that Paul said here when he said, guys, don't, don't lose heart. 
because I'm suffering. Don't lose heart because things don't look the way you think they should look. Don't lose heart because you see a mess. You see these little points that don't seem to be connected in any way, shape, or form. Don't lose heart when things don't seem to be going according to plan. Don't lose heart when the church disappoints you and people around you disappoint you because they're going to do that. I guarantee you. People will disappoint you. Don't lose heart when you go through a struggle, when we go through a struggle, when things aren't easy. Don't lose heart, but persevere. Because God's plan was always to bring his loving rulership to the earth through us as the church to the glory of our King Jesus. That is our reality. And that is what God will demonstrate to the glory of Jesus. Father God, I pray that you'd help us to see the church as we really are. Not as we want it to be, not as who we think it should be, but as we really are in Christ Jesus. Help us to abandon our idealistic distortions of church and suddenly come to understand the fullness of your plan in us together. Lord, as we go to your, your table now, I pray that you'd bless this bread and this cup, that they would be for us truly the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, broken and shed on the cross. Use them to remind us that we are one in you. Use them to point us to the heavenly revelation of who we are together as the church. Use them to refresh and renew our faith through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.